Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Switch Statement Podcast. It's a podcast for investigations into miscellaneous tech topics. This is the sixth episode in our series on Masters of Doom by David Kushner. Hey, John. What's going on in your world? Hey, Matt. My world is is good. There's nothing going on, nothing special. What about your world? You know what the shape of the, the Earth is? technically speaking oh man i i've heard about it's not a perfect sphere right it's like a little bit compressed like an egg uh yeah. I'm, I'm sure it's some weird word like ovoid ovicular something rhombus You're very close it's called an oblate spheroid ah oblate see i knew there was like some bizarre word thrown in there somewhere yeah so my world is pretty pretty oblate i would say <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, you win the nerdiest response to that question for the day award. Thank you. Yes. Um, but um, but how is the world of of John Carmack and John Romero in Chapter Six of this fine fine uh, book, Green and Pissed? Green and pissed. Yeah. And but I guess it, that's not how they are, right? Uh, yeah, they're not. Well, they don't. I don't think they're pissed. Although it did seem like Carmack had a bit of an attitude, uh, but their world is kind of, you know, ratcheting up. Things are exciting. Business is catching off, taking off, catching <laughs> catching fire. I combined catching fire. You know the show Halt and Catch Fire. Yes, that is a great show. So when I am reading this book, I think about that show constantly because it's just kind of a similar vibe. Uh, you know, a tech team taking off in the 90s or whatever. Um, so anyway, I combined Catch Fire and Take Off. Yeah. No, it has that, that same vibe. Um, but yeah. um, one of the things that, that really strikes me as funny about this book is, like, it's really playing up all the tensions. Yeah. And <laughs> I think it's the kind of thing where, you know, you go into a meeting and, like, I don't know. Everyone's talking. It's actually like mostly a polite meeting. And then afterwards you're like, you're like, you're grumbling. You're like, I don't yeah. know. Like that guy was, was a jerk, but you don't really like, it's not like you care that much about it. Right. I think, but like if, if someone were to interview you, you might be like, yeah, like I wish John didn't do that. I feel like what happened is they interviewed these people and you got these, these kind of detailed recollections of the time but that wasn't necessarily that they were at loggerheads about right. all of these things like yeah it was just like picking up on these like subtle emotional responses oh totally but it he feels like the whole team is ready to like break apart yeah yeah and i feel like it's part of uh david kushner like mythologizing their story where yeah it does feel like tensions are always high there's always something exciting happening and, you know, it definitely makes for good reading, but I, I think it's also just probably not completely accurate. <laughs> you know, it must have been pretty chill a lot of the time. And, you know, if anything, they have like a, a slowly growing, well, quickly growing, thriving business. So they were probably just happy all the time. Right. I'm sure there was this like substrate of success that, you know, any of these tensions are kind of like, I guess, mitigated by. But well, this is the thing, and well, okay, I guess I'm 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 jumping ahead. I was going to make a point about a, a, you know chapter seven, but um, but it does. If I'm teasing, it seems like their success really allows them to have a tremendous amount of sway over people. Yeah, um, 
Yeah, no, it seems like the business is starting to realize that here's a team of people who just know what they're doing and are highly, highly capable. And so people are starting to come to them with things and, and they're, they're starting to have a lot more creative freedom with just basically doing whatever they want to do. Um, yeah. They mention an interesting... So this was like a piece of my past, and I'm wondering if there's a piece of yours, the dope fish. Have you heard of this dope fish thing? I have not heard of the dope fish, no. Okay, I have no idea why I wrote this in my notes. Like, I know they mentioned the dope fish in this chapter, but I can't remember exactly how they mention it. But the way I remember the dope fish is it would appear in all of these games. It was kind of like a, you know mid 90s easter egg where it would just like appear in a random video game i i even feel like i might be making this up but i feel like it would appear in completely non-id games <laughs> oh so this was just like a a, a wilhelm scream of the video game yes uh, yeah it industry. just became this it, almost kind of a meme uh, back when there were no memes in the caveman times but yeah it was just like oh you'd turn a corner or you'd get a you know you'd break a wall down and there's a dope fish <laughs> and it was interesting to hear kind of the origin story, which I think, I mean, if I recall correctly, Adrian Carmack designed this thing. It was part of Commander Keen. It was just this like bizarre enemy that would pop up or something. Well, yeah. So I think he go like, I think this is one of Tom's, I think this is Tom's conception. Like this is one of his like creative uh, ideas that they, they list out. And I'm, I would assume, like, I think the relationship is Tom is having all these like, Hairbrained ideas, and then it's Adrian's responsibility to actually like turn yeah. them into art, <laughs> implement them. Yeah. They also mention uh, there's another game they mentioned called Catacomb 3D, and this is another one of those games that I I feel like I remember, and it's all it's hard to say if like I'm sort of remembering looking back on it or if I'm actually remembering it as it happened. Right. I mean, I don't know about you, but my childhood memory is like incredibly fuzzy. But I do remember this game because it just had, like, first of all, it was one of the first games that sort of, like, had your hand. You know, it, it's like you, you have the viewport yeah. of the game, but then you also have this viewport that's just, like, you're kind of looking at your hands as though your hands are, like, in your line of sight. Um, and your hand was just kind of this huge thing that was just, like, always there on the screen. <laughs> and that's what I remember about Catacomb 3D. It, like... It was innovative in that it was one of the first to do that real FPS trope of like having your hand there. But it was also kind of like insane because if I recall correctly, your hand never moved. Like it was just this like static image. And, it, you know, when you cast Fireball, it would like do animate or whatever. But it was just, uh, it was interesting. <laughs> it is funny because it's like, it strikes me as such kind of like a simple way to like to en enhance the presence for the player. But yeah. it's like, it's amazing how powerful that was. Because like even today, even FPS is today, it's still like basically the same thing. Obviously, it's all modeled in 3D now. But like, you know, you just have this arm, this disembodied arm. You know, you don't have the rest of the, <laughs> the character there. Yeah. Um, but it's like, you know, strictly speaking, it's not different. It's yeah, it's better animated, but at the core, it's still the same thing. Where you have like you're walking and you have just this disembodied hand. So it's yeah. amazing how even this like kind of I don't know quaint you know in incarnation of it is still like essentially unchanged since then. Oh yeah, um, and also man, like the 
the double shotgun in Doom 2, I think to this day, is still one of the most satisfying guns in a video game. Because you blast, you know, you shoot that thing and it just makes that amazing sound and there's that reload animation. Oh, yeah. Even though it's, you know, it's old graphics, it's pixel, you know, pixelized or whatever, but man, that was amazing. And it still, I think, is just slaps. Oh, yeah. Um, But it is is funny because there's another... (laughs) there's another aspect to this where it's like Kushner is talking about all these things in like such grandiose terms. And then like you go and you look at a screenshot of Wolfenstein 3d and I don't, like I don't want to like take away from the programming prowess that, uh, that Carmack had, but like, it just looks so lame, you know, by, by today. I think, you know, it's funny because in a way it looks lame in a way that, Doom doesn't actually like oh, yeah. the original Doom actually does retain this like Wolfenstein has not has aged like very poorly where whereas Doom was able to achieve some threshold where it ages like gracefully like a Super Mario yeah. where it's like Super Mario Agreed. doesn't look antiquated it just looks I don't know it just looks like itself you know yeah um, yeah it's such a clearly defined aesthetic that was like that's what i see is the difference with wolfenstein is there's all these depictions of like they're trying to depict something real they even had rotoscoping where they would take like a real image and kind of draw over it whereas doom is more of like stylized graphics that i think Mm. just work perfectly and you know wolfenstein obviously stylized like the big heads and everything but i think that they were the game had less of its own unique style and i completely agree that the doom graphics still look amazing just completely amazing oh yeah well one one major thing they uh they do in this or like one major scene in this chapter is they go to the people at sierra um yeah and they just roll up as this like motley band of of i don't know misfits basically (laughs) in this like shining ivory tower of game creation Mm -hmm. um and there's this scene where Carmack just like dresses down one of the programmers. Dude, it scene gave me anxiety. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was like, I just imagine like what what would an interaction with Carmack like be like be like for me? Would he just be like like I would tell him something I was working on and he'd be like, Why didn't you just I don't know, implement it all from yeah, scratch dude. using like render the pixels yourself by hand? <laughs> The, um, there was like a a fairly long period of my career where that was like a fear that I ha- had. Um, and I guess this is like a form of imposter syndrome or just part of my imposter syndrome. But I was like worried random coworkers were going to call me out on my bullshit in like meetings and stuff. And man, the Carmack just completely doing that to that guy. <laughs> it made me sad. Like, poor guy. I think what's weird about it is like, like I feel like you want to strike a balance where you don't want to let niceness get in the way of stopping someone from doing something that you pretty strongly believe is dumb, but you also you don't want to be just like rude unnecessarily. And like when you have a programmer who you're not going to work with, you're not working on the same team, like there's no point. Like, why would you, why would you nitpick? First off, you don't know the context of their system. Right. Um, 
but I, you know, I've, I've worked with a pretty small set of people who feel confident enough to just like waltz in and be like, why not just do this X, Y, Z? And like, it's just hard to explain why, why you're in the state that you're in. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. But I don't know. I feel like my approach would generally to be like, ask them questions. If, the, if there was something that I had heard of that I thought they might not have heard of, I would have been like, have you heard about this? Um, yeah. As opposed to using the like, why didn't you just do? Um, <laughs> yeah. Because like that is never useful. Totally. Um, totally. Yeah. Um, it's it's yet another character flaw that I think Carmack has where he's, uh, I, I don't know if it's a form of competition or what, but he just wants to be the best in the room and he will, he'll dress you down in order to establish his place in the pecking order. I don't think it's about pecking order. I think it's just like an absolutely like robotic thirst for knowledge. Yeah. And where if he sees talk- something inaccurate, yeah. he will just call it out no matter what. Well, he, he sees something and he's like, okay, does this person know something I don't or are they just incompetent? And then he goes over to them. He talks to them. He's like, did you consider X? Did you consider Y? Did you consider Z? Okay. <laughs> no, you're just an idiot. Okay. Yeah. Bye. Right. So he just doesn't have, he doesn't uh, have, empathy and human interaction he doesn't have eq yeah he definitely doesn't have any eq but he's he's also by the same token at least as far as i've been able to just as far as i've been able to discern he's also not doing it as a power move you know uh, to try to make this other person feel small um at least uh, like from the sense that i get it's just this raw like thirst for knowledge yeah no, I think you're probably right. I don't think he's I don't think he's like malevolent. I think it's more, you know, he's kind of on the spectrum and lacks <laughs> lacks awareness. Oh yeah. Or lacks any concern for the other person's emotional response to the the grilling they're getting. Yeah. Uh one really interesting little tidbit in this chapter, they start I feel like this is the chapter where they start to talk about doom and potentially exploring a demonic game and they're playing with different titles and they talk about devil dagger do you uh, remember this part well yeah i mean they're, ta- they're they are talking about titles for um for wolfenstein oh and, for wolfenstein and they're gonna okay. do it in they're gonna do it in german and uh oh yeah yeah toy they're gonna call it devil dagger and What's yeah, that? yeah. What was the what was the uh, German word for that? It was like Teufel or something. I can't remember. Let me see. Um, Teufel. That sounds kind of nice. But anyway, yeah. it wasn't Teufel. I just totally made that word up. It probably means something like completely bad, and our podcast is going to get canceled. So I mean, apologies. It, it probably isn't as bad as whatever they were actually trying to say. Uh, um, but anyway, the reason I wanted to mention Devil Dagger is because a game came out called Devil Daggers. And uh, it's an awesome game. And it's it came out at, like in the last 10 years, I want to say. Like it's a fairly modern game. But I wonder if they, you know, got inspiration from, from it. Because the game is definitely very id-like. It has a lot of like aesthetic similarities. It might be. It might just be a callback. Like it might be like a, a deep cut. Yeah, I, um, d- I wonder. It feels homage-ish. I mean, obviously that's a title that you could come up with independently, but uh, just knowing the game, called, it, it feels homage, homage It's called Dolch to Fell, or Dolch? I don't know, Do you, would you say the C-A, it's D-O-L-C-H. Yeah, Dolch. T-E-U-F-E-L. Dolch Teufel. 
Dorch Teufel. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And then there was also uh, Bad Smell, uh, which is Garushle. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Um, I do kind of wish they went with Castle Hasselhoff. Because that's just like <laughs> delightful to say. That just rolls right <laughs> off the tongue. But yeah, um, so so yeah, so they they're at this they're at this meeting um, with Sierra, and I think I think it's it sounds like the I guess is it a, a husband and wife team at the top of, of Sierra? I don't or know. Yeah, I don't remember. Roberta Williams and Kim Ken Williams. Oh. Yeah, I guess maybe um, I just didn't make that connection that they had the same last name. But so it says that they they're not not too impressed with these like naive um guys who are just like self self-important. But yeah. um but th- they hear how much they're making from their shareware Commander Keen and they're like, "Hmm, maybe we should offer these guys 2.5 million dollars <laughs> to because they said that they were making like $50,000 a month." from Commander Keen shareware sales. Yeah. Which is like unbelievable. It's insane. Like, in the 90s, like early 90s, 90s, like that's wild. Yeah. It's funny because I guess they were going to give them $2.5 million in stock in the company or something, but they were like, no, we want $100,000 up front. Yeah. Which it just, it's just kind of clear to me why they even wanted that. I don't because get it. If like, they're making 50 grand a month, like what are they doing? Are they buying yeah. a bunch of cocaine or something? How come they can't? We can't yeah, just wait like, two I, months. I, I kind of don't understand what either side of the deal. Like, why did you request that, and why did the other people refuse? It's like, I, I, like I'm not sure. Like, what are you? How are you offering them two point five million dollars? They said stock, but it's like, I don't know. Like, sell some of your stock, and then like you get if you're willing to give these people. Like, I'm yeah. just confused. There's probably a lot of nuance in the deal, or like tax implications, or what have you. But like. I got the exact confused. same feeling and my my read of it was or what I was wondering about was if it was almost like a statement like a principle of the thing type deal where and I'm I am probably reading into this incorrectly but it felt like Sierra was offering them sort of like a you know potential investment like oh yeah you guys might know what you're doing we'll give you these this equity that will vest over time and we'll see how it goes versus this kind of like okay we're going to give you up front a bunch of money like you guys are awesome like it, it felt sort of like id wanted sierra to make more of a statement to them that they really believed in what they were doing right 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 um but so they balk and the the deal falls through which yeah. it's so funny because like man talk about talk about missed opportunities oh yeah uh, yeah, and I, I definitely remember Sierra. Uh, I think like they were the publishers of all the Police Quest and King's Quest and a bunch of amazing, amazing games. But they, I do think they were kind of stuck in a certain, you know, era of of game or type of game genre. And it was doing something very new and innovative. And maybe they couldn't see it. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's definitely true. Like I think. Because it, it's still it's still a big bet, right? It's a bet. It's easy to say in retrospect, like yeah. that bet paid off. But like, they might not have been willing to put a hundred thousand on black or whatever. One other, you know, just tiny thing, and I'm kind of changing the subject again. But this chapter was also the first mention of jibs. They talk about Romero eating up jibs, and jibs became uh, a big 
thing in the id series uh where like in the quake game when you kill guys with a rocket launcher they explode into all these body parts and mm-hmm. those body parts are called jibs and oh. it was it was just nice to hear the origin of of jibs jibs man i have no i had no idea that that's what that was those were called are you saying those are those can be used as health uh, no they're just like they're just decorative <laughs> it's kind of weird to call them decorative but you know they just add to the overall flavor of the game oh okay jibs and yeah. and those are like the human chunks yeah human chunks or beast chunks uh just whatever chunks just viscera viscera yeah <laughs> that's another good name um, for it but did they was it this in this chapter where they talked about how like they were talking about health collectibles and like you needed to they they said like if you were really low on health you could like just like eat some of the like remains of of one of the fallen soldiers I, I, oh right right yeah that's that was the jibs part yeah you're you're absolutely right so this this was a case where it would give you health like you're eating their <laughs> Which is awesome, um, but yeah. Some of this is is a little bit too like, you know, it gets to the point where, like, I don't know. I I, I played through, uh, what, what the hell was it? Um, I played through Half Life, Bioshock, Bio Bioshock. You know, Bioshock Infinite, and that there that was a game that actually had like a decent amount. Like you could have these incredibly gruesome, like killings. <laughs> yeah, and like I was able to like onboard that, but once. Romero was like, "Oh, then you can piss on the the dead bodies." Yeah, it, it crossed a threshold that yeah, I was dude. like, "Yeah, I don't know that I can get on like I can get get on board with like an infinite amount of well, maybe not infinite, but like a lot of gore." But like as soon as you start to get into this, like, I guess like would you consider that scatological humor? Like, <laughs> it's like yeah. Now Romero know. is definitely in the teabagging camp oh, where God. he just wants all sorts of like shameful and horrible things to be in his games yeah 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 um but so uh so then at the end of the chapter it feels like we just moved to we just got out of shreveport (laughs) but at the end of this chapter they're moving out of uh they're moving out of wisconsin right yeah madison yeah it was too cold out of madison which is fair uh have you ever have you ever spent a winter in madison I have never spent a winter in Madison, but I grew up in Troy, Michigan, which I'm assuming is a similar climate. And I've also never yeah. spent any appreciable time in Shreveport, but my guess is the Michigan climate is much more annoying. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, but yep, too cold. They're uh, slipping, sliding in the winters, and they can't, you know, as Romero puts it, they would die if they didn't have, like, if they just went outside without. <laughs> anything they would just die and so he that's not what he's about so they uh they ship down to dallas right that's their uh yeah their new home mm-hmm. kind of like elon i guess so yeah everybody if you want to build a business go, <laughs> go to dallas all right well i think that's kind of all i had for this this chapter yeah uh, that's all i had all right cool cool well i will uh see you for chapter seven see you for chapter seven peace peace